All right, so um, as we look at scripture today, I want to start with, um, well, many of you know that last February, Leslie and I uh, went to visit my family in Australia. It was rough suffering on your behalf down there in the middle of the summer of Australia while you guys were bravely, bravely managing winter here so well. Leslie asked me just a couple of days ago, hey, do we get to go to Australia again this February and skip winter? And I said, no, it's not, in the, it's not on the books for us this year. So nonetheless, so when, when we visit our family down there, um, usually we spend a great deal of our time in the Sydney area. Sydney is on the east coast of Australia. It is probably the largest, it is the largest city within Australia. And we invariably end up right up against the coast. Uh, Sydney has this, it's the world's largest natural harbor. And on the very east side of that harbor is a little village called Manly. And Leslie and I have family there, we'll stay there. And every day, pretty well, uh, for the two weeks or so that we were in that area of Sydney, we took the ferry into Sydney proper. It's about a 45 minute uh, cruise, if you will, a little across the bay. There are water taxis, there's all kinds of stuff taking place in the bay. And as you go, as that ferry ride comes to an end, you end up right in front of the Sydney Opera House. Maybe you're familiar with that building in the Sydney Harbor, this iconic building that was built in the 60s to look like a sailboat right out there in the peninsula. It's a fascinating building. There are all kinds of theaters inside and you can hear performances of varying degrees inside the Opera House. And it's, it's a spectacular, iconic building that in many ways defines Sydney. Uh, the plaza around the opera house is this beautiful walking area. The, the walkways are made from cement. As a matter of fact, you can see uh, the picture of the, of the stairs leading up to it. The, the cement is probably about four, four and a half inches thick. And it's got pebbles set in the, in the stone and then sanded flat. And the, once you get up on top of the stairs, there's these slabs that are probably... Oh, three feet, maybe by six or seven feet. They're not square by any means, they're rectangular. And, and there's obvious, they're obviously set on a metal superstructure down below. And they're all screwed in with these lovely brass screws. And one day, uh, when we were there in, in February, we were walking literally around, where well, you can see the, the green ferry. We were walking around the outside of the upper house along the plaza there. And there was a guy there with a long pole, um, steel pole about this long, it was apparent to me that it was some sort of tool. It looked like, well, you know those tools you have when you want to shut off the main out in the front yard and you, you twist it, you know, it was about that long and he was doing something. I went up to him and I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm tightening all the brass screws I'm, and all these cement pads are held down by brass screws. I said, you're tightening them? Yeah. Well, as people walk on them and the, you know, the movement and everything, they come loose a little bit and I got to tighten them or else people will really unloosen them and steal them. What? He said, yeah, they'll take him. I said, really? He said, yeah. And so with that, he opened up this bag. that was, we had it attached to his belt kind of thing. And, and he opened it up and all these lovely brass screws are in there. Big things like this. And I'm going, oh my. And he's holding one in his hand. They're obviously machined. And I don't, guys, some guys, if you're like me, you love to see machined things that are done really well. And so I'm looking at this. And out of the blue, I said, can I have it? And, and he looked around to see that he wasn't going to start something. And he said, here. And he gave it to me. There it is. I reckon to, for them to machine that thing, isn't that gorgeous? 
probably about $50, I would reckon, to make that thing. I mean, it's heavy, heavy brass. And he's out there replacing them, and he gives it, gave it to me. And uh, last week, when Pastor Brian was talking about our prayers and about how sometimes uh, we forget to ask God, and when we don't ask God, we don't get what God wants to give us. We forget to ask. I was reminded of this. I have no idea what I'm going to do with this screw for the rest of my life. I have nothing to hold down, hold it down with or, or make it work. It, it won't work as a paperweight, although it's heavy enough, mostly because I don't have a breeze in my office. There's no paper to hold, you know, there's nothing that needs to be held down. So I just have this and it sits on my dresser, drawer, dresser at the house and I look at it every now and then I go, I got that because I asked for it, strangest thing. And yet in many ways, isn't that what happens when we speak to God in prayer? We have started last week a series on prayer that plays back into where our church is going over the next 10 years. As a, as a congregation, we've made a decision that we want to reach 10% of our community over the next 10 to 12 years, which means we want to reach into the lives of some 10,000 people, and we want to see them come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're very intentional in how we're moving ahead with that. As a matter of fact, why we started with prayer is because we could have all the noblest ideas for our community, and we could have them all in the world, but if we didn't start with prayer, it'd be all baseless. So we're starting with some prayer, and we're being very intentional with what we believe God is calling us to do. Brian started us last week. We want to see what we are, how we are going to prepare, pre-prayer, uh, for what God wants to do for us in our lives and, and through our lives and so forth. And so in that regard, I'd invite you to turn to um, Matthew chapter 6, all right? First book in the New Testament. Before we do that, while you're turning there, I just need to remind you of a couple of things that are coming up. Um, and guys, we're going to have to go back a couple of slides. They're giving me the eye. Wayne, you've forgotten. I, yeah, my fault. Okay. So as we pre-prayer, um, this week we're going to look at how we pray about our stuff, okay? Next week, we're going to talk, move the circle out a little bit about versus just me or you, us. We're going to take it out and can we pray for the church? So next week, the worship services are going to be just a bit shorter so that as the service ends, you can actually, weather permitting, we're going to have you walk around the building. The building being the symbolic um, aspect of our church. And we're going to put time in the schedule for you to do that within the, within the Sunday morning services, okay? And Saturday night as well. And then the week after that, we're going to ask you to circle the city in prayer. And at 5 o'clock that Sunday afternoon of that weekend, there are going to be six or seven prayer points around the community where we're going to invite you to go and pray and meet with other people from First Christian Church. And there'll be staff and elders there who will lead you in prayer at those points around the city to circle the city. The idea, again, being we want to be people who are intentional in the way in which we move into pre-praying for what God has for us. And so for that today, that takes us to Matthew chapter 6. If you grab a Bible from the pew rack in front of you, you can see the pages on the screen behind me. Verse 5, when you pray, Jesus is speaking, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, 
Don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, because your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, we already prayed that prayer in worship just a few minutes ago. Lori led us in that endeavor. It's a familiar prayer around here. Brian started us looking at this last week and, and his call to prayer. Today I want to see what this says about what we can pray about. But before we get to what we can pray about, I want you to note where this prayer is located within Scripture. All right, like jump back to chapter 5 and just look there. And you can see that chapter 5, 6, and 7 are, for the most part, um, Jesus' sermon. Uh, as a matter of fact, most of us who would say that we're followers of Jesus Christ would legitimately and arguably say, this is the most important sermon that Jesus ever gave. It's at the very beginning of his ministry, and it's, if you will, his inaugural address. He's got a bunch of people gathered around him, and he's saying to them, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, then this is what you can expect. This is the way in which you can live. And he, he lays out a a significant number of ethical understandings, a significant number of uh, ways in which to live, ways in which to follow God. And, and so it's Jesus speaking in that regard. And some have called this Jesus' manifesto. Now, when we say the word manifesto in our culture today, we kind of have a pushback from that. Well, we don't want any manifestos. That's, like, that's for revolutionaries. And we don't need any revolutionaries right now, so we don't need any manifestos. But I think if, you could think if you could give some thought to the context of where Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount, it is in many ways a manifesto. It's quite revolutionary. His understanding of how to do life is significantly different all of, throughout all of human history, right to the point when he, where he starts saying, this is how you should live. Seek the things of God first before you seek things for yourself. Study what it means to be one of my disciples and undertake, get involved in a whole new approach to spirituality, a whole new approach to God's way of life. And we know it now as Christian discipleship, those of us who walk with Christ, this feels really and sounds very familiar. This is the way in which we should live. But in that day and in that time as he was giving it, it was extremely novel, revolutionary. And in the middle of this revolutionary discourse, if you will, notice what happens. Jesus says, oh, by the way, Here's how you should pray. So in other words, prayer is right in the very middle of Jesus' understanding of life. It's not some afterthought. It's not some surprise. And, and it's really telling us that in the middle of all that you do, pray. Pray. Not, not just, well, at the end of an event, well, thank you, Lord, for getting me through that. But in the middle of the event, in the middle of all of life, be a person of prayer. Jesus puts the prayer right in the middle of his stuff. And I want you to notice that he indicates it's a really good idea to bring your stuff to God. For example, in verse 8 he says, Your father knows what you need before you ask him. What is it that you need? 
Jesus tells us in verse 11. In the midst of this prayer, he says, give us today our daily bread. It's about, I mean, it's about what we have to do as people each and every day. I mean, you, what Jesus is, he's giving you permission to ask God about your stuff, your food, our daily bread. What are we going to eat today? How is it going to be? What, what's our health going to be like today? Not in the future when we get older, but God, I need some health today. God, I've got some decisions in front of me. What are we going to do about paying the mortgage this week? And, and how are we going to balance the needs of our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews? Are we going to have children? We've had, have we had enough children? All those kinds of questions. Should we, should we get a different job? Should, should, I, should I quit this one? Should, should we sell the house? Should I move? Or, you know, or maybe should I, should I leave mom and dad's house and go get an apartment? All those kinds of daily decisions that are real life stuff. They're covered in this. Give us today our daily bread. Decisions, decisions, decisions that I have. It's fair enough to say this is, God, this is Jesus saying you can bring your need for wisdom to God. That's really biblical. To live that kind of way is very biblical and it follows in the train of all of scripture. The psalmist, a thousand years before Jesus brought this to us, he prayed a prayer. He said this in Psalm 90. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God, I, I, want, I, I need to learn from you how to do life. This day. What, what number day is this in my life? And, and based on that, I need to do today extremely well. Paul the Apostle premier theologian in the New Testament, echoed that kind of prayer when he was praying for the people of Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, he said this, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so I've been praying about you, and here's what I'm praying. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I would say that I would echo that prayer for you today. That you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt what it means to have a spirit of discernment within you. That you would have this wisdom from God about how to do daily stuff. What I'm telling you, friends, is that Jesus is not only giving us permission to ask God about our stuff, but also he's telling us how. Again, look back at the position of where this is. So you've got, you've got the prayer in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, but look at how the prayer is constructed. Look again, verse nine. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, acknowledge God. Acknowledge that he's got the cosmos and his role in the cosmos and all of that. And then the first thing, the first thing that he, Jesus says, okay, after you've figured out who God is and you put God in the right place, the first thing that you can pray about, the first petition, give us today our daily bread. Friend, your stuff is, your stuff is really important to God. Now, part of that stuff is mentioned here. It says in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Let's start with the first half of that verse. Forgive us our debts. Um, 
Some of you may have grown up in congregations where when you recited the Lord's Prayer, you said, forgive us our trespasses. Does that sound from, does that ring a bell to anyone? And then other congregations would say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And those words are fair, but in many ways the word debt is probably one of the better words to choose in translating that. And here's why. That word there, uh, as it would have been as Jesus said it, uh, and Matthew records it, is more, um, it's a legal term. It's a legal term that refers to being bankrupt. The scriptures tell us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all bankrupt when it comes to our sinful, um, our, the sin that, we, that God would see in our lives. We're bankrupt. We can't make up the difference between, we're, we're in the red. We're in the red. I mean, we, we, would, we would say, okay, I've tried to live my life right, but I've fallen short. I've tried to do the right, but I've fallen short. And, and the Bible says no matter what you do, you can't make up that debt. That's the language that Jesus is referring to here. Forgive us our debts. Get us back to zero. In other words, we want our sins forgiven because we're in deep trouble. So Jesus says, when it comes to your stuff, that forgiveness from God is available. That your stuff is your daily bread and part of your daily stuff is God forgives you. And I would ask you this. Have you asked God for forgiveness? Have you done that? Have you asked God to say, hey, I need to get back at least to zero. That can occur through the work of Jesus Christ in your life, through the covering of his blood over your sin, for the, through the forgiveness of God that's available to you. And then what's interesting to me is that coming right out of this business of being forgiven, God then encourages you to uh, forgive others. It's a, Lord, forgive me my debts as I forgive those who are my debtors. Hmm. In other words, this daily stuff is about me, my house, my mortgage, my job, my, my family. It's about God up there, here, there, and what's out there. It's about all my stuff. The people who are on the list who've done me wrong. Do you have a list? Now, if you're like me, you don't keep a list of people who've done you wrong. Okay, I sort of don't keep a list. Okay, I have a list. It's not very, well, it's, it's, it can be long if I really meant and think. Jesus says that I'm supposed to pray to forgive them. And I, I, sometimes I don't want to. You know why? Because what if God answers my prayer? What if I say, God, help me forgive the people who've done me wrong, and then God answers my prayer and I actually forgive them? Did that, do I really want that? I mean, that might make me a little more healthy. I might be a little less entangled in the snares uh, and the traps, if you will, of my own bitterness and resentment and anger. And surely I want to hold on to that. Hmm. Apparently God wants me to be healthy. And that part of my stuff is that we can pray, Lord, as I have been forgiven, help me to forgive others. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation. My stuff is that I really don't want any more evil. Deliver us from the evil one. 
this case, I'm really being straight up. I don't need any more evil in my life, either within the deep, dark recesses of my own heart or any evil projected toward me from anyone else. And if you want to talk to me about my stuff, I don't want any evil to be in my stuff. And the Lord's Prayer says that, hey, Jesus says this is the way you should pray. And so apparently I can bring all my stuff to God. And I expect God to um, respond. It goes back to this thing again. I have this because I asked for it. Now, it's not, I don't need this. I got it because I asked for it, but what if I needed this? And the guy had said no. No, he said yes. My wants are different than my needs. But Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so then this is how you should pray. Go ahead and ask him. But what if, what if you ask God for something and it doesn't come around? I am. Um, listen, I went to, to college with a, a woman by the name of Lynette Troyer. She was down the hall on the same kind of a friend of Leslie's and I knew Lynette through Leslie. And after college, uh, Lynette married a fellow and there were four boys. They were all adults. Um, it's a great story that, long story short, that um, last Christmas, was it last Christmas, honey? Christmas Eve, they got a call from some people in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania saying, Two twin girls have been born. Would you, would you guys raise them as your daughters? Can you imagine? Bethlehem, Pennsylvania calls Christmas Eve and say, we're going to bring in your twins. Can you imagine? Would you dare say no? But nonetheless, so they, Bethlehem called. I'm, I'll raise those babies. Okay, so they've got, they've got four guys in their, in their 20s and these two little girls that are not yet a year old. One of their sons is a fellow by the name of Jordan. Jordan um, married his college sweetheart in June of last year. It was a month after they learned that he had cancer. And, um, you know, uh, they were married and they prayed and hoped for the best and they undoubtedly prayed and brought their stuff before God. Jesus says, bring your stuff before God and God knows what you need before you ask. But what happens if God doesn't answer and God doesn't give you what you ask? They were married in June and Jordan died, June of 2013, and Jordan died in March of this year. What happens then? I'm telling you the story so that we can think through. Okay, God says to ask for my, Jesus says to ask God for our stuff, and we do, but then what happens if it doesn't turn out the way we don't get the response that we want? I want you to see what his very brilliant young bride has put out on her blog in recent months. He married in June, died in March. This is what she wrote in May of this year. Two months ago, I held the hand of my first love and kissed his lips as he breathed his last breath. Jordan walked bravely into the arms of the one whom he lived to serve and love. His spirit slipped out of a beaten, earth-ridden body and into everlasting life. I felt his life leave his body as I kissed him one last time. Wait, this is a little heavy. We come to church to get lifted up. Well, okay, I get that. But this is real life, right? This is really the daily stuff. Dealing with the difficult moments of life. 
paying the mortgage is pretty slim and pretty small compared to this. What would you do? What would you say? October, just in the last week or so, this is what she wrote. Since March, I've been asked many times and faith seems like a failure to me. I totally get this question. Jordan and I knew we would have believed for his complete healing here on earth. I knew Jordan was going to be healed and instead he experienced unimaginable pain and died at 23 and I got a front row seat to watch his suffering. And so what am I supposed to do now that God didn't do what I begged him to do? Isn't that the question that's in our lives when it comes to these big matters? What would you say? Look at what she said. I've realized faith is more than I've given it credit. Faith is not a band-aid. It's a way of living. Faith is standing alone. Catch this. Faith is standing alone at the end of the day with your husband's wedding ring in your hand. Faith requires more from us than we are comfortable. The more we explore its uncharted terrains, the more we realize that what we were created for. And I'm glad God has destroyed all the cages I've attempted to put him in because if I could tame God, I'd be heartbroken. God has to be bigger than who we are, right? She goes on to say, so now here I stand, ready to believe again. If I had to rewalk this journey, I would choose to walk it in bold faith again and again. God is wild and boundless, but he stooped to my side to hold my hand through the hardest nights. I've seen the gentleness of God that has left me in complete awe. Faith has never failed me. Here's how we do daily life, guys. Here's how we do it. We live in faith saying, today I will trust God. Today I will bring my daily needs to him. He knows what I need. I'm going to trust, I'm going to believe, and I'm going to hope, and I'm going to follow Christ and let God be in charge. And in the middle of all of it, I'm going to pray. I'm not just going to pray as an afterthought, but in the middle of it, I'm going to pray. Okay, so you heard the story of a young couple out of Oklahoma. Let me introduce you to a man who is in the middle of it right now. Because this is what I want you to hear. We pray in the middle of it all, and we expect God. Larry, come on up. Let many of you know Larry. Larry plays the piano or keys for us on a regular basis. He and his wife have been part of the life of our church for a number of years. And uh, he played the piano today. And we'll be playing again yet this morning. And Larry's in the middle a very unusual, very, um, very prayerful adventure. Why don't you tell us what happened? 2009, I was diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia and uh, went through chemotherapy and other treatments 2010 to 11. And it worked to put it in remission until 20, summer of 2012. And then I was diagnosed again. It had relapsed. It had come back. And so what happened then? And then the doctor here sent me to John Hopkins and Barnes Hospital, and all three doctors said the same thing. I needed a bone marrow transplant as soon as possible, or I would be dead in two years. So um, we found an unrelated donor, one out of 14 million, and in January 30th, 2013, after four more rounds of chemo at the end of 2012, I went down, my wife and I, to St. Louis for three months, and I was in the hospital a month and a half, and got a transplant from an unrelated donor. So here you, they basically, from what I understand, when you have that sort of leukemia, 
they, they wipe out your immune system. They wipe it out totally, yes. So all the shots that you had as a kid no longer play? Correct. They're no longer in play? Right. And a common cold is a big deal? Right. Because you're like a newborn. Right. You look like a newborn, too. Yeah, I lost my hair. <laughs> so where are you right now? Right now, uh, cancer-free. That's praise yeah. the Lord. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Got that done. Um, the one issue left is my immune system. My white blood count has not come back the way they would like it, so I have to be cautious and careful. And it's, you know, it's 98% full there, but just not. And you know, and we pray all the time. God, come on, you healed the cancer. You, what? Just one last bit. thing. One, one last thing. thing. Right. The point I want you to hear is Larry's in the middle of it. Yes. Larry's in the middle of, you know. You're, you're almost there and you're still praying. Jesus, in the middle of, this is the way you do life. What does he do? He puts that prayer about our daily stuff right in the middle of it. You know, um, I played the piano earlier and you're not allowed to really be, you, you can't really touch people and so forth and so on, right? So I'm, as I was playing the piano earlier this morning, I thought, Oof, I'm playing the piano where Larry is, what am I leaving behind on, this, on these keys that he's gonna yet touch yet today? What do you do about that? Wash your hands a hundred times a day. <laughs> in the middle of it all, guys, in the middle of it all, we're asking for God's help. In the middle of what you face today, you're asking for God's help. And maybe the mortgage is a huge deal for you today. I get that. Maybe your relationship with God is a huge deal. And it, it's as, as overwhelming as it would be for Larry to say, I'm still not back to where I need to be. In the middle of it, you pray. In the middle of your kids messing up, you pray. In the middle of knowing what it means to say, what job should I have? What do you do? You pray. God, give us today our daily bread. I want to be in a right relationship with you. I think I want to be in a right... I, okay, I'll be brave. I want to be in a right relationship with everyone else. And by the way, God, protect me from evil. Does that sound familiar to anyone else? We thought we'd probably help you out a little bit in this. You noticed as you came in today. Thanks, Larry. Can you guys thank Larry for his help? Somewhere in your pew or in your bulletin, in your program, you've got a couple of these, okay? And I asked our staff to put these together with this in mind, that we're gonna mark October 11th and 12th. If you look at the bottom of that bookmark, it's got today's date, this weekend's date. And there's a space where in a couple minutes, we're going to give you some time to write what your stuff is. It may be pretty grand stuff, like what Larry's talking about. It may be some grief that you're dealing with that would be more reminiscent of that young couple, the Lewises. Maybe it is. How are we going to pay the mortgage this week? But I want you to write on there today what it is. And if you've got a Bible with you, put it in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you and you work from an iPad when it comes to your scriptures, then take it home and put it on the refrigerator. Put it in an important box, whatever the case may be. Put it inside your wallet. So that a year from now, when you're cleaning out your pocketbook, you come across, oh, look what I prayed on October 11th and 12th and see what God does. Sign your name on the line across the bottom. This is, this is your prayer between you and God. And after you've kind of written this out, I've asked John Guyman to come, one of our elders, 
and pray a prayer of blessing over all these prayers. I, I, I asked John and other elders to do this this weekend so that you hear lay voices, not just us professionals, if you will, but you hear lay voices echoing these prayers before the Lord. So you take a moment or two and fill that out and take your prayers before God right now about your daily stuff. God, this morning we, uh, we thank you for who you are, for you indeed do know each and everything that we need even before we speak it. And Lord, right now I just lift up all of the families represented here today and the families of this congregation. Pray your blessing upon them. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, be their provision. Yes, Lord you would uh, come alongside and, and provide those needs for each and every family, that you would meet those debts that, uh, that we worry about, that you would uh, provide that next meal when we, uh, we don't know where it's going to come from. Lord, I pray that you would uh, strengthen our family unit. Lord, we know how important the family is to you. Yes, Lord God. And we ask that you Allow each and every leader of families in this congregation to yes, God. to make wise decisions. We pray for your wisdom with, uh, with those family leaders. We pray, Lord, that you would expand the time of the family to be together, to uh, enjoy time together, and to grow closer to you together. Mm-hmm. Father, we pray for health concerns wherever they are. Yes, Lord. That you would be their healer, that you would be their comforter, that you would give strength where strength is needed. Lord God, we ask that uh, you would give us grace, grace for each other and grace for others, and the ability to show your love each and every day in whatever setting we have. Lord God, we, uh, we thank you for all the blessings that you give us. And we pray for your protection against the forces that would uh, attack our families. Mm-hmm. We pray that you would uh, enable us to make wise decisions around that. And we, uh, we pray that, uh, that you would be in the midst of each Right now, I just uh, I just pray your blessing on each and every family here that you would 
guide us and keep us. Lord, that you would make your, your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. That you would turn your face toward us and give us peace. Hmm. And we pray these things in Christ's precious name.